Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, I assume that... Uh, you know, most of us get a pretty regular diet of TV, probably more than we really need most of the time. And that a regular part of that diet probably includes quite a bit of news. Is that a fair assumption? Everybody see a pretty good amount of news on TV? And I assume that if you've seen much news at all lately, there's one particular thing that has dominated the news quite a bit. If I say the words health care reform or town hall meetings, does that make you a little uncomfortable? Does that raise your blood pressure a bit? It certainly does for quite a number of people. If you've seen much news at all over the last few weeks, then you've probably seen a lot of yelling and shouting and screaming heard a lot of lies and rumors and seen a lot of mistrust and fear, but perhaps more than anything, just a lot of anger. There's a lot of anger out there, a lot of anger that has bubbled up in these town hall meetings. You know, I, I even saw one clip where this guy stood up in one of these town hall meetings and was I mean, just literally yelling at a certain senator and telling him that God was going to judge him and that God was going to judge all of his fellow cronies up on the hill. At another protest, there were those who brought guns, and not just handguns, fully automatic assault rifles to these protests outside of these town hall meetings. And not just one person either, there were multiple people there with these automatic rifles in the crowd. At another town hall meeting, a fight broke out right there in the middle of the meeting. As that senator was speaking, a fight started right there in that auditorium. There's just this tremendous amount of anger that is burning over this issue of health care that's come out in these town hall meetings. And in the midst of all that, 
as I've been watching the news and over the last several weeks seeing these people yelling angrily about what they fear that senators and representatives are doing to this country, I began to study the book of James right around the same time these town hall meetings started, knowing that I'd be preaching from James starting today and over the next several weeks. And as I began to read through the book of James, this one particular verse, it's one of the verses that we heard read this morning, just really stood out to me in that context. In the midst of all of this yelling and screaming, in the midst of all of this anger, James writes to his church 2,000 years ago, Brothers, everyone has to know this, that every man must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now I want to be clear this morning about the things that I'm not saying. What I have this, to say this morning has really very little to do with health care reform. I don't really care if you're for it or against it. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. In this room, those barriers are obsolete. Those things that divide us don't divide us in this room. In fact, what I have to say this morning really isn't even a condemnation of those angry protesters. After all, they're just Americans who are voicing their opinion. And they have every right to do so. That's part of this thing that we call democracy. They even have the right to voice their opinion angrily if they want. So what I have to say this morning is not a condemnation of those angry protesters. I mean, after all, James wasn't writing to them. James wasn't writing to the American political process. James was writing to the church. But see, then what I do want to talk about this morning is the fact that, the sad fact, that all that anger isn't just out there. You know what I mean? A lot of that anger is in here, too. Isn't it? I mean, sometimes the church doesn't look all that different in the way that we talk about the things that get us riled up and the things that raise our blood pressure a little bit, that make our blood boil. Sometimes we can be just as angry. Sometimes we can shout just as loudly as these protesters at these town hall meetings. Now, of course, our worship doesn't resemble that. We know better than that. We know better than to come to God's house and make a scene. None of us would want that embarrassment. But even though we don't do it here in worship, I, I think we've all seen it before. I mean, after all, have you ever seen on the news picket lines of angry Christian protesters at an abortion clinic? 
or a gay pride parade, holding up signs that often say obscene things, and shouting things that are the most unchristlike things they could possibly shout. Or we don't even have to think about others. I mean, I know that sometimes, myself included, I mean, I know because I've been there, I've done it too. Sometimes it seems like we almost wear our anger as a badge of spiritual pride. Have you ever seen that? Or have you, have you done it yourself? Sometimes it, we act like just because we're angry about something, that that just shows how spiritual we are. If we can just muster up some righteous indignation, people will know just how passionate we are for God. You mean your face doesn't turn red when you think of the millions of babies that are being aborted and you call yourself a Christian? You mean you don't go into an angry tirade and and roll your eyes every time somebody forgets the countless children who are starving around the world? How can you possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ? Sometimes it seems... Like we think that getting angry achieves the purposes of God. Sometimes we act like the very opposite of this verse in James. Where we think that if we just really get upset about something, if we just shout loud enough, if we just make our voice heard, then maybe this world won't go to hell. Don't we do that? We just get angry as if that's going to do anything. But you know, the reality is, anger doesn't, it's not just the purposes of God that it doesn't accomplish, it doesn't accomplish anything. Have you noticed that, that when you're angry, that's probably when you accomplish the least? In fact, I know, at least for me, that when I'm angry, all it does is waste a lot of energy. I mean, believe me, I'm not just talking to you this morning, I'm talking to myself too, because I know that I've spent considerable time in my life being angry. I've spent plenty of time being upset, just seething over something. And I know that when I do that, I I don't actually accomplish anything. Certainly not God's redemptive purposes in our world. Anger is just this tremendous waste of energy. We put all this emotional energy into being angry, so much so that when we're done being angry, we don't have any energy left. We're just exhausted. But you know, James offers us an alternative in his letter this morning. There is another option. One where we don't have to just be angry and do nothing. James says that that alternative is to be doers of the Word. That is, that we're not just to hear these words that we come and hear read Sunday after Sunday. In fact, James says that if we come here and all we do is hear, 
And that if that hearing doesn't shape us and form us to be more Christ-like, if that hearing doesn't shape us to do, I mean, you do know that that's the point, right? James talks about people who just think that they're religious. It's easy for us to feel that way, isn't it? Just because we come to church Sunday after Sunday, it's easy to feel that somehow we are entitled, that we're the religious one, that God owes us some special favors just because we fill a pew and do a few good things throughout the week. But James says that just being a hearer, just being here and hearing this word is not enough. That the whole point of this is for it to become alive in us. I mean, we talk about this being the living Word of God. But it only comes to life when the Spirit makes it come alive in us. That is what it means for it to be the living Word. And so James tells us in this passage this morning that if we are hearers, only and not doers of the Word, not people who live it out faithfully every day and every hour of our lives, or at least seek to do so, then we are like a person who looks into a mirror and upon walking away immediately forgets what they look like. You know, when, when you look in a mirror often you see the things that you want to change about yourself. You see the parts of yourself that need transformation. When you look in a mirror, you see yourself for who you really are, at least when it comes to your physical appearance. It's not your opinion about yourself. It's not somebody else's opinion. It's not a doctored photograph. It's just you in front of the mirror. And you see yourself as you are. You see yourself in all of your beauty and in all of your flaws. I think James is telling us this morning that Scripture is to serve the same function for us in our spiritual lives. That when we hear these words read, when we read them ourselves, when we contemplate them and stir over them, that it's not just to study them, not just to have some head knowledge, It's so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. It's so that we can see that we are a creation of God, made with all of His craftsmanship, all of His skill as an artisan, that we are God's masterpieces. But to also see that we're flawed, that sin has marred this beautiful creation, that God has made us to be. And that as a result, there are things about ourselves that need to change. We need to be transformed. We need to become not only hearers of the Word, but people who live it out. And you know, that change doesn't come easily. I'm sure most of you have experienced that before, that a lot of times change of any kind can be quite painful. It can be uncomfortable. It can be awkward. 
can be embarrassing, even shameful. It can be difficult to even admit that we need to change. That's why James tells us in this passage this morning that part of being changed, part of being transformed, part of looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves for who we are so that we might become doers of the Word and not hearers only. That takes sacrifice. It doesn't just happen by accident. It takes sacrifice. You see, right there in the very first verse that we heard read this morning, James 1.17, James says that God has given birth to us, brought us forth through the word of truth so that we might be the first fruits, a kind of first fruits among His creatures. This language of first fruits comes from the realm of sacrifice. The first fruits were the very beginning of the harvest the farmer would bring the, the very first of what he had harvested, the very first thing to, to be reaped. And he would come and bring that and sacrifice that to God. It was the first fruits of the harvest. And those first fruits were given to God in anticipation, in expectation of the rest of the harvest that was to come. These first fruits were given out of thanksgiving and out of gratitude with the expectation that God would bless the whole rest of the harvest that was on its way. James says that we, the church, are the first fruits of God's creation. In other words, we are called to live sacrificially. We are to be that sacrifice which anticipates the harvest that is to come. James is telling this church through this metaphor that they are to live in such a way that their life now anticipates God's kingdom in the future. That we live now with eager anticipation, eager expectation of what is to come. So that even though God's kingdom is not yet here in its fullness, that we are already beginning to live that way now. Because we know that that is the kind of reality that will exist one day. We know that the kingdom of God is made up of people who sacrifice for others. We know that because we see it in the example of Jesus. We see it in Jesus who gave the ultimate sacrifice of His own life, allowing His body to be broken and His blood to be poured out for the sake of this world. That is our example. That is the model that we live by. That we are to be a people who sacrifice for others as the first fruits in anticipation of God's kingdom that is to come. And so this morning as a church, we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to ask ourselves this morning, what kind of politics 
we're going to have as a church. Again, remembering that that word and its root meaning has nothing to do with the American political system. It has nothing to do with Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals. A politic is simply the way we organize ourselves. A politic is a description of our life together. It is the rule of our conduct with one another. The rule of life for our community of faith. And so this morning, we have to ask ourselves, what will our politics be? Will it be a politics of wrath and anger? Will the shape of our gathering here, will the form that our relationships with one another take, will our life together as a community look just like everything else in the world? I mean, it is tempting after all. It's tempting to think that if we don't shout loudly enough, that no one will hear us. It's tempting to think that if we don't get a little upset, then God's will won't be done. But James reminds us plainly that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We are not called to look just like the world. We are not called to yell and to shout angrily until we get our way. We are not called to use whatever means is necessary to make everyone else submit to our own selfish desires. No, our politic as a church is a politic of sacrifice. It is the way of Jesus Christ and of His cross a way in which we willingly submit to those around us. We willingly give of ourselves for the betterment of others because we believe that that is what God's kingdom looks like. Church, we must come to recognize that our anger doesn't accomplish anything. And it certainly doesn't accomplish God's purposes. So I hope that our prayer this morning will be that God will make us into a community where the way of sacrifice, the way of Jesus Christ and His cross are the norm. That we won't just be another group of people who look just like the world, but that we indeed might be the first fruits who live in anticipation of God's kingdom, knowing that only He can establish His righteousness. May we be a community that lives in faith and in trust, refusing to yell and to shout, refusing to get angry, because we know that this world is in our Savior's hands. And that as long as as we will live faithfully, as long as we will be patient waiting on Him, trusting Him with our own lives by living sacrificially for others, then He will accomplish His righteousness. He will build His kingdom. He will restore this world and make all things new. We must only live like it.
trusting not in our anger, but trusting in the God who will renew